Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 fucking games this year. You're watching Fizz. Okay? Not 10. What's up, Fizz fans? Most brutal thing I've seen in 30 years. Welcome back to another episode of The Fizz. And especially when it comes from our people. OrangeFizz.net From Charlotte, North Carolina, the home of ACC Media Kickoff, and Jonathan Hoppy. this is the FizzCast, Tyler Aki, alongside Jonathan Hoppy, talking some SU football after ACC Media Kickoff, a lot of notable things kind of shaping up after this week. We'll give you a lot of answers to some of the burning questions that came in to this media day surrounding Syracuse football, but first... Be sure to follow us everywhere online, Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Orange Fizz, and also check us out on the web, orangefizz.net, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Orange Fizz, and drop a five-star rating for us as well. Okay, Jonathan, so just getting into everything, I, I know there was a lot that went on this weekend, or this week, rather. It feels like this is an event made for the weekend, but it just kind of shook out during a Wednesday and Thursday in, in the middle of July. Um, but when you look at all the things that we kind of were in the middle of in terms of we're not sure which way to lean, how we're feeling about certain things about this team, I think we got a pretty good grip uh, on the direction of this team and how things are going to shake out in 2018. Not just for Syracuse, but for a number of other teams as well in the ACC. So with that being said, you wrote a piece for OrangeFizz.net. And when we get into the five burning questions you had about this team, let's just start at the top with the reasoning behind the switch to the nickel. And I think that we're going to see a lot more turnovers because of this. I mean, you look at who's going to be in this secondary now. You're adding in that nickel back with Antoine Cordy. I think Alan Stritzinger is also a pretty capable backup behind him. Again, a, a, a guy who's super athletic. He was on the offensive side of the ball for most of high school as a running back. Now, you've got Cordy in there, and then you return both cornerbacks. And then in the secondary, it seems like Andre Sisko's all the buzz amongst the freshman class. I think so. I think Cisco's in a good position there at the free safety spot. But what I really look at with this switch to the nickel is it takes away one linebacker spot, which is clearly a weakness on this team, and it brings Antoine Cordy up a little bit to play that nickel position. I really like him there, and I know people were talking about Cordy getting switched to offense in the spring depth chart. Well, now he's back on defense. He's not at safety, which we've seen him play in the past. Instead, he's at nickel. I think that's going to work out well for everybody because he's like you mentioned about his backup he's a freak athlete he's someone who can get downhill he can rush the quarterback he can cover the receivers in pass coverage so I think it really is a perfect match for this defense and it says a lot to me that Dino Babers was willing to switch from that 4-3 Tampa 2 look now to this 4-2-5 nickel I mean that's a big change in defensive philosophy so you got to think that Babers looked at it. He certainly did his research and decided the nickel was the best for this team. That's the biggest storyline for me. I mean, you can talk about all you want, the running backs, the improved offensive line, Eric Dungy staying healthy, what happens if he gets knocked out with Tommy DeVito. But this change to the nickel defense, a unit that we saw be pretty good at times last season to start in the traditional 4-3. You lose all the linebackers, now you go to the nickel I like the change for Syracuse. Yeah, and I think the one thing that's really going to be big for this team is how it's going to force more turnovers now as a result of that. Again, you've got more DBs on the field, so you're hoping a couple more interceptions are coming your way after only recording four all of last season. And keep in mind, getting interceptions was kind of a, a, a staple of Dino Baber's defense when he was at Bowling Green State. They were always amongst the leaders in the MAC in terms of forcing turnovers. It hasn't been the case so far through two years at Syracuse. So that's going to be a big change, and I think that's certainly going to help this offense progress too. Give them shorter fields, and I think that with maybe a bolstered running game, which we might see this season, that's going to really provide a lot of flexibility and take a lot of pressure off of Eric Dungy and the rest of the offense as well. And here's another thing to think about in terms of this defense. Antoine Cordy is not your typical safety. Right? He's a big guy. 
a freak athlete, as we've all seen on the list. He does crazy things in the weight room. That can make him sort of a linebacker, so I don't see this defense having trouble stopping the run game either. Yeah, that's going to be a, a real beneficial add on that defensive side. Even though it's not really an add, as long as Antoine Cordy's healthy, I think that's going to be a huge, huge gift for this Syracuse defense in terms of adding experience and leadership out there, as well as a lot of athleticism, as you hit on. Another big burning question that we had is this offensive line. And Dino Babers loved your question. He called it a fabulous question. Thank you, Dino. Thank you. (laughs) A fabulous question in classic Dino Babers form. And you asked about the offensive line. Basically, what does it mean to have all this experience come back and also add the addition of Coda Martin? And this is the first time Dino Babers has had all of his guys really coming back, with the exception of Jamar McGloster. But there is just so many downs and snaps played on the field now for Dino Babers, and it's his most experienced line and easily his most talented. Two very true things, and it's clear that he values both of those things. I mean, he got so excited answering that question because he described it in a very Dino Babers-like way of having a big family and and guys you want to walk down the street with. Everything you'd expect was the answer for this question if you want to go look it up from the press conference. But he was excited, and he should be. This is a unit that has capabilities of all ACC tackles. You've even got some guys inside that have all ACC capabilities. So there is talent. It's not just experience. Like you said, it's talent too, and it's huge because now you've got an offensive line that can potentially open up those holes For Dante Strickland and Mo Neal, who have really gotten bad reputations as running backs in the ACC, partially because they haven't had great blocking. Another thing it does is it allows Eric Dungy to hopefully stay in the pocket longer and and make that better decision to not get out and run if it's not going to be a massive gain. So there's really a lot of positives for the Syracuse offense, and I think we'll see that late into the season as well because we know the Syracuse team is predicated around quick movement, quick passes, passes down the field for the home runs and they got to find a way to get the run game involved and I think having a strong run game will really help in November when you play teams like Notre Dame at Boston College you're not going to be able to just pass the football when you go on the road to a place like Chestnut Hill and the Eagles are supposed to be pretty good this year you got to have a run game and really you got to have a run game on the road in general Syracuse hasn't also hasn't picked up any not, road wins, not, really. Not to mention, you also, it helps when you get into some of these colder climates as well. It's a little tougher to throw the football. And to have that in your back pocket, the running game, even if it's not, you don't have to be top five in the ACC. Just hang around six, seven, eighth. Just be right in the middle, and that'll be good enough for this Syracuse I offense. mean, listen, this is one of the best offensive lines in the ACC. I really believe so, and there's obviously... Places like Clemson with guys like Mitch Hyatt and others who you know, have the big blue chip prospects at tackle. But this offensive line, if it can gel and stay healthy, got to be up there as one of the best in the whole league. Yeah, certainly one of the most experienced in the league in terms of the amount of starts logged on the front lines. Okay, so now let's break down this running back situation a little more. We got some clarity from Dino Babers over the week. He says that Mo Neal is not going to be playing receiver anymore. He is a running back, and I think that's big for what Syracuse wants to accomplish because I wrote a piece earlier about who can take the reins at this running back position, and I truly think it's Mo Neal. He had more yards last season on about 35 less carries than Dante Strickland, and if he can continue to show his home run hitting capabilities and really stretch these defenses, because again, we've seen these Syracuse drives that last about 30 seconds and they end up in a touchdown. If you can get a quick hitter for maybe a, like a 20-yard passing play, and then you run up to the line, and you're not running right into the center's back, say you turn that into a 30-yard run or a 20-yard run. Really get these defenders on their toes, the linebackers, wear them down mentally and physically with a guy like Mo Neal. He's the best suited on this team to do something like that, and that's why I think he's going to overtake Dante Strickland. And don't get me wrong. You need both type of guys. You need kind of a downhill runner, maybe a guy who's going to be a little better at the goal line because that's your Dante Strickland. But Mo Neal as a pass catcher and also as a home run hitting, big play capable back, 
I think is going to be crucial for what Syracuse wants to do. So if we talk about Dante Strickland as the bruiser of the two, because that's what he is, and he's had his moments. I mean, if you think about last year, there were a couple games where Dante Strickland played pretty well. Even the Clemson game. Yeah, that sticks out, and, and we were just watching that last night. It was on ESPNU, 17th best game of the college football season. Seemed a little low. Yeah, could have been a bit higher. But I'm interested to see Strickland because, you know, I've been a huge critic of him because he hasn't been very good. Now all the pressure is on him to produce because he's got the offensive line. And personally, I think this could be a pretty good season for Strickland because he's got the blockers in front of him, and he is that bruising back, and that could be a good combination. Mo Neal, more of the same. I think his bigger body that Eric Dungy was talking about yesterday could really benefit him in that front. But both of these guys have the opportunities to become the feature back. Hopefully we know within the first three or four weeks who that guy is going to be. Well, the thing about Dante Strickland is he's had that opportunity for the better part of three years now and really hasn't grasped it. And I think that just kind of says that maybe he's not the one suited for the job. Maybe this is Mo Neal's job because, let's face it, Dante Strickland's had every opportunity to pull ahead in this race. Well, with the improved offensive line, you know, you got to factor that in a little bit because, frankly, Mo Neal hasn't been able to take the job away from Strickland either. But so, he's also had a lot fewer reps, a lot less time on the field, uh, an entire year less. And, and keep in mind, freshmen don't really see the field as much at the running back position because you're picking up on those blocking schemes as well. It does seem like there's a commitment to Dante Strickland. There does. They, there seems to be... Dino Babers is trying to will Dante Strickland right. into this role, and he just hasn't done anything to really just take the reins and take it and run away with it. And that's sort of why I can't really come out and say that Mo Neal is going to run away with this job because it seems like that was the thought process last year, and then somehow Dante Strickland is still the guy they're handing the ball to. So I think if Strickland has a good start to the year, I think he might just keep that job through the whole season if he's able to stay somewhat productive and, and Mo Neal could end up getting a little bit frustrated but of course that's all speculation. Isn't it going to be nice in 2019 where there's going to be literally zero competitions it's going to feel like your quarterback's <laughs> going to be set in Tommy DeVito your running back is going to be known with Abdul Adams and, and even if Mo Neal does have a breakout 2018 that's a good problem to have if you're trying to pick between a former four-star guy who played at Oklahoma and Mo Neal, who's a sudden force in the ACC. And then receiver, they're young in 2018, but they'll have that year under them. Someone's going to break out. We just don't know exactly who it is. But there is going to be a young guy. And then you also add Tristan Jackson from Michigan State, who transferred. There's going to be a lot of quality options on the outside. So this offense is going to be unbelievable. Now, the one place you may have a little bit of a, a rotating door is at is on the offensive line. But again, you're bringing in a four-star in Kadir White. He's going to probably be in the fold. And you've also got plenty of other solid options that will still be around when it's all said and done. I mean, you look at Aaron Service. He's going to come back. Evan Adams has another year. And then you also have Sam Heckle. So there are going to be a lot of options on this team. And 2019, Mike Clark's another guy. Yeah, Big 2019 tackle. is going to be a fun year for Syracuse football. You know what? I was a bit skeptical about the 2019 offensive line, but now that you talk about it, you know you only really lose Coda Martin and, and Cody Conway, which are of course your starting tackles. But you know that's a conversation for another day. It does look like it's shaping up pretty well, though, and that speaks to the recruiting that Babers has been able to do. And hopefully, they continue that and get another strong class this season. Yeah. So, all right, we've hit on the running game. We've also hit on what's going to happen with the nickel defense. Number three is the inexperience at linebacker, and we've touched on this a little bit with, with the nickel conversation. Again, you're removing a linebacker spot, so kind of masking that weakness. And Dino Babers has been pretty transparent about it, that this is not going to be the strength of the defense, it seems like. He's said that the, there's going to be some growing pains at the linebacker position, and but he does think that by maybe the middle of the season or, or near the end, this will be a quality unit. I'm pretty concerned about it. You know, I do think to start it's going to be a problem. And obviously the coaches think that too with the move to the nickel defense. And, you know, it's not so much a crack on the linebackers as it maybe is. Antoine Cordy is pretty well suited. 
and we want to get Andre Sisco in the lineup. So huge props to Andre Sisco, someone that people are just raving about as a physical safety back there. Coming in as a freshman, I know we're all excited to see him. But the linebackers, bit problematic right now. You know, Baber said that it's sort of like a young puppy referring to the whole group. You walk in the house sometimes, and it's like, what the heck happened when I was gone? One day there'll be a nice house dog, he says, but right now, not so much. There's a lot of growing pain. So these guys are experienced in terms of time on the roster, both being seniors, but only four starts between them. You know, Guthrie came in and made some plays. I think I remember a a big sack in the Pittsburgh game against Max Brown, and that was a big play, but hasn't started a game, hasn't had enough starting experience in the ACC to make me not be concerned. I don't see why anyone wouldn't be concerned at this point. The the thing about the linebackers, and they very well could be great players who are just stuck in a bad situation. Again, it, it's kind of... Uh, Unlikely, but possible. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, alarming in a sense because... You know, they they haven't they there was not a vote of confidence in them to play in that Tampa two defense, so they had to change their entire defensive scheme. But maybe they saw it as we've got two linebackers we can trust, so let's just run with those two, Kylan Whitner and, and Ryan Guthrie. Yes, they they don't have maybe the the skill, but they've got the experience. They played under Zaire Franklin and Paris Bennett. Who were one? Who was one of the best bad linebacking duos in the entire ACC last year? So you got to think there's a there, there's got to be something there. That that's all I'm trying to say. There's got to be something. I think there is. There's got to be something. And while you were talking about that, it made me think the four three defense with these linebackers would be very concerning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost you know. As concerned with the nickel defense, which only features two of them, because you know you look at the linebacking group that that's right in the middle of your defense. It's you know it's obviously a group, but the linebackers are there in the pass. They're there in the run. Really, a vocal point of the whole defense, right smack dab in the middle. So there does have to be something there. I mean, I'm not saying that these guys can't play football, but when you look at Paris Bennett and Zaire Franklin as great linebackers. And then you look at the struggles the Syracuse defense had last year with those two in the middle of the defense. That's what makes you think a little bit. Now you've got more experience on the outside with Bradshaw and Frederick. You know, you got Cisco there as a freshman who people like. You got Evan Foster who is more experienced. Antoine Cordy is back. Hopefully, hopefully he can stay healthy at nickel. And you feel good about it with the defensive line that Syracuse has. But at the same time, there's some question marks at linebacker, so there's got to be something, but, you know, I guess there doesn't have to be, so, <laughs> I mean, we'll see. That I mean, that's what everyone is going to be watching in Kalamazoo. Everybody. I think the concerning thing for me is where, what, what happened to Nadarius Fagan, because this was a guy, he was a freshman last year, he saw a, a decent amount of time on special teams, so he wasn't redshirted last year, and, he, I mean, yeah, he was only a three-star recruit, but... This was a guy who had some top-level SEC offers. He turned down Alabama to come to Syracuse. And I think it's a little concerning that we're not seeing his name kind of in the fold. Now, maybe they're leaning on the side of experience, and maybe if they were in that Tampa 2 defense, we would be seeing the Darius Fagan as a second string or maybe even a starter on this unit. But I don't know if Guthrie and Whitner are going to be the starters at the end of the year. Let me just say that. Yeah. I think this is a move by Babers to try to get out your most experienced guys because frankly if you bury them in the depth chart early on they're done they're not going to come back from that in terms of a psychological standpoint so you get them the start to start the year he thinks they're capable compared to the other guys but if they're not performing you could see a guy like him come up and of course you've got Armstrong who is a second string who will be seeing a lot of playing time so there are options so to speak it doesn't you know it doesn't feel like anyone is much better than anybody else which could be good or bad if they're all terrible or maybe they're all pretty good (laughs) yeah I just think the the Darius Fagan thing's a little alarming to me because if he's not playing significant snaps for you this year you've burnt two seasons and maybe you you use that new redshirt rule kind of to your advantage this year maybe if you don't see him in that role you throw some other guys out there on special teams instead of Fagan and you preserve an extra year of him. So we'll see. And actually, let's hit on that redshirt rule right now. 
just because it was a, a major topic of conversation over the week. So a lot of coaches are in favor of this rule, and I don't see why they wouldn't be in favor of it. It's very team-friendly and, and player-friendly in that sense, too. So the thing about this redshirt rule, now it gives you up to four games, and I've hit on this on prior Fizz radios about the how beneficial it is. Again, I think from a, a neutral standpoint and, and a, a standpoint that kind of benefits both players and teams, it should be based on snaps instead of games played but I mean the four games that's a lot and there's no I I completely understand why these teams love this new rule so with it Dino Babers even said he would have loved to have this rule I think that was a kind of a common theme a lot of guys would have loved to have this rule last year and most notably the guy in his mind was number 13 Tommy DeVito would have probably played about Probably would have maximized his yeah. red shirt last year I'd say with so. the Eric Dungy injuries. So that's something to keep in mind for this coming season with some of these freshmen that are coming in. And you know what? It just makes the whole quality of college football better because, yeah, who wouldn't like this rule? I like it because I hate when the freshmen come in and they're going to get red shirted because there's depth at a certain position or they need more time to mature. We want to see these guys come in and play. And this four-game rule allows that to happen. Say somebody is is buried on the depth chart, plan to get redshirted. At the end of the season, if there's an injury or an opportunity for any reason, that guy can come in and get experience. I mean, can you imagine how crucial that would be or even, for a freshman? Even in like a game two this year when you play Wagner. I mean, that game's going to be decided probably before halftime. So, All right, throw a Kadir White in there. So on the throw someone line. in there and, and give them that experience instead of only giving them practice reps. I think that that's part of what makes the rule great. And you're probably going to get blown out once or twice in the ACC. And Baber said too, Syracuse hasn't blown out a lot of teams, which hasn't right. able, you know, hasn't allowed them to put in the threes and fours. Because as he said, you got to get in the twos before you do anything like that. So now with a game like Wagner, you know. If and you're you Dino Babers, let's route him. You know, let, let, let's make this a blowout in the dome, and let's put our backups in and get some reps for the young guys because that goes like that's also how you really develop a program. And we know that that Babers is, is trying every stop to hurry this process up. All right, next question we've got: What's it going to take to keep the team trending upwards in the second half of the season? November was kind of the word that was thrown around a lot about this team and what can they bring in November in 2018. That's been the emphasis. They can't go just half effort throughout this entire season. They need to be all in from week 1 to week 12 if they want to see week 13. And they know that in the Syracuse locker room. So, with that in mind, I don't know exactly. Again, a lot of this all hinges on the health situation of Eric Dungey. We haven't seen him finish seasons. Can this be the one? He seems very optimistic about it, but there's going to be a couple of other factors that come into play. Again, the defense is going to have to be there for 12 weeks. We saw an up and down season last year. Sometimes the defense looked phenomenal against some decent teams, and other times it looked absolutely horrendous against some okay teams. So can that te- can that unit play 12 weeks if they want to see a 13th? That's the big question I think if you want to see or if you want to be a quality team in from September all the way through November. The takeaway for me from media day was that Babers knows his team has to finish. You know, and he should. Obviously that's that's what he's doing in the lab so to speak in the off season. Why is my football team so bad on the road and after the bye? That's what he has to figure out because if those two things don't change, your team is not going to win a lot of football games, and therefore Dino Babers will not have a job for the foreseeable future. And that is not a good thing for anybody, and that's sort of the backbone of all of this. And Babers was continuously asked about it, and he just said, yeah, we're changing some things. You know, We see that the need to win late into October and into November. We see that. So now we'll see if whatever they did this offseason or whatever they're changing works. And it's something that, you know, I think Babers has gone back to the drawing board. What am I doing wrong to not have these guys trending upwards throughout the season instead of peaking for an upset against Virginia Tech and Clemson 
in back-to-back -back seasons. So I do think that that was sort of the national narrative when teams cover Syracuse is, oh, they beat Clemson, but didn't That's win a game win. after that. Yeah. So. so the thing with me and what this team can bring in November, if we replayed 2017 with this version of Syracuse football, the 2018 version, they're not going winless after the bye. Keep in mind, they played a very, very tough game against Miami the very next week on the road and nearly pulled out that upset. That would have been back-to-back -back top 10 wins. Well, if you've got Dungy, I mean, you probably beat Wake Forest. You beat Wake Forest. I'm not saying you beat Boston College, but it's not 42-14. to You're probably giving yourself a chance at some point in that game. That's what this team has to get rid of is those games where if you're a – Syracuse fan, you just your tail goes, you know, in between your legs and you feel embarrassed. Right. Because those games were embarrassing for the Syracuse community. Two home games, Wake Forest, Boston College. The second half of Wake Forest was like That was the worst half of middle school Syracuse versus the varsity. Yeah. I mean it, it was really, really bad. And those kind of things unfortunately carry over for the team into the next season. So this team has to find a way to win as many games as they lose and not be so poor in the second half of the season and spread it around to not make the guys forget, instead have them remember, hey, we were a pretty good football team, instead of, man, we were trash at the end of the season. And just looking back on some of the things that Eric Dungy said, this is why I like him as a leader and like him as the quarterback, is he's got the utmost confidence in himself and the team. And it's not an arrogance. It is an actual confidence. He says he's going into this season thinking everyone's all concerned about, oh, like how does this team get to, to six wins? You can't be pointing out, oh, okay, you win this game, we'll lose that game, we'll lose that game. That's not his mindset going into the 2018 season. He thinks this team can go 12-0. and And if your quarterback doesn't think that, then you're not going to a bowl game. I'm sorry, that's just the way that I view this 2018 Syracuse football team. I like the confidence that Eric Dungy has. And again, we were watching that Clemson game from last night, and we saw the post-game interview, and he says, we're 4-3 and now, but we believe that we should be 7-0. and And that is the type of confidence that I like to have in a quarterback. This is a competitive team. I mean, no one is denying that. This is the team, when you look at the schedule, you can argue they've got a shot. I mean, the only game you really can't is at Clemson. And who knows? I mean, we were talking to Don Munson, the play-by-play -play guy for Clemson, at the ACC event, and he told us when we were talking about that game in October, or sorry, or late September, I think it's the 29th or 30th, at Death Valley for Syracuse this season, and we were like, I was like, rather, you know what, that's probably going to be a blowout considering that Syracuse beat Clemson last season, now Clemson looking for revenge at their home place, and he was like, wait a minute. You got a chance. You got a good team. When I called into the radio stations up in Syracuse last season, they all said the same thing, and I was the only one who gave Syracuse a chance, and look what happened. So even with that mindset, you feel pretty good about this team. I still am not buying the Mudson Kool-Aid. I, I think that that's going to be <laughs> a, a pretty he, big blowout. He but. brings up a good point is that the thing that Clemson struggles with is these kind of tempo offenses. And now we're starting to see some of these up-tempo offenses come into the ACC. We're seeing it a little bit with Boston College. Uh, Willie Taggart seems to be trying to implement that a little bit at Florida State as well. And Dino Babers, seemingly the pioneer of it all in the Atlantic Division. So, again, some teams may give Clemson some fits. And if they don't play, if they're not on their game like they weren't against Syracuse last season you're going to lose a game that you probably should win. And, you know, that's funny, too, because Florida State under Jimbo Fisher ran a very, you know, pro type of offense. Methodical. It was slow. It was a lot of under center. And it was a good offense, taking nothing away. But we do know that that's something Clemson struggles against is the fast-paced up-tempo. So now Willie Taggart comes in, and the first thing he does is install this offense that is quick. So maybe when they do host Clemson this year, that's a game you get excited about. You know, a new coach, a new system. Dabo's never played against uh, that kind of offense under Willie Taggart at Florida State. So there's added variables. And I think when you have a top dog like Clemson, you've got to make decisions that make you competitive against them. It's sort of like Golden State 
in the NBA. When you get up to that level, all the other teams are modeling what they do to try to knock you off. Yeah. All right, last burning question we've got here. Which receiver is going to have a breakout season? And again, we've seen it each of the last two years, an All-American type guy coming in. Amba Edatawo two years ago in the first year under Dino Babers, and then last season it was Steve Ishmael. And, and even Irv Phillips had himself a hell of a year as well, going over 90 catches. So with that in mind, who is the guy this year for Syracuse football that's going to break out? I've said it's going to be Jamal Custis. Again, his blend of size and speed, as long as he stays on the field, I think he's going to be the perfect weapon for Eric Dungy. Devin Butler, certainly another name that could emerge, and Sean Riley out of the slot as well. Do you have a guy that you think can really emerge? I mean, I think the obvious choice is Jamal Custis. He's the leader of this And it's group. almost an obvious but non-obvious at the same time because not a lot of people really know who he is because he hasn't seen the field much. We saw flashes of him last season, Tyler, and I know you're saying the same thing where you looked at that guy as a 6'5 receiver with size, weight, speed on the outside that is the threat you want at your exposition as a receiver someone who can still go down the field but they're big and lengthy and they can make that catch I'm excited for him and it's one of those things too it's sort of like ish last year final season you know you know that this is going to be your last ride as a college football player you want to work hard other than that I like Nikeem Johnson for some reason I think he's going to be pretty scary on the outside but you mentioned Sean Riley I think Sean Riley is a player. We were just talking about it before we got on the podcast here. That's a solid specialist, okay, in punt return, kick return. I know everyone thinks about that catch or non-catch against LSU for Sean Riley, but I think he's a guy that can hold down the slot position and who can really make some plays. And then, you know, the sleeper, not really sleeper, is Ravian Pierce. You know, is he going to be able to get out of his own way and really produce this season at the tight end spot? So, there are some options as a receiver. Who's going to be the guy, the Steve Ishmael, the Amba Etatawo? Probably Jamal Custis for me. And I, I think people are rooting for him as a senior. Yeah, the thing about uh, – I want to hit on your Ravion Pierce point real quick. The thing with Ravion Pierce for me is – and you kind of touched on it. He's his own worst enemy. With Ravion Pierce, the thing that kind of kept him off the field last year were his own mistakes, his own penalties – and if he can't figure that out, if he can't figure out the game between the ears, then he's going to have some problems. And also the fact that I don't think he's going to get quite the same opportunity to catch the football as guys like Custis, Butler, Riley, uh, Nakeem, and Sherrod Johnson. So, again, it's going to be super interesting at the receiver position. Eric Dungy even said it this week, too. They said... they. He, he would always go on about, oh, they've said to me, how am I going to replace Amba? How am I going to replace Steve Ishmael? It's the same thing over and over again, and we've continually, as a program, done it. Someone's going to step up, and that's what he said. He said someone is going to emerge out of these receivers. He has no idea who it is, but he says, and he says this in 150% confidence, that there is going to be a guy. And I, I believe him, too. There oh, is too. going to be a guy. It's just a matter of who it's going to be. And again, we can play the guessing game all day long, but we won't know until we see it on the field. And again, there's going to be so much speed now on the outside for this team because when you look at it, now we're seeing all of the guys that Dino Babers brought in. You just look at the depth chart now, all right? Cameron Jordan, a backup on the outside. Nikeem Johnson, a starter. Sherrod Johnson, a backup. Russell Thompson Bishop, a backup. Those are four guys right there that all run four fours. That is blazing on the outside. And that goes along with a guy like Jamal Custis, who also runs a sub four four. The wide receiver spot is sort of a contrast position from linebackers on the defense, both the obvious inexperienced groups, but I have so much more faith in the receivers because Babers does have a track record of producing receivers. And guys that don't get a lot of love preseason turn out to be All-American. So I'm not saying that there's necessarily an All-American guy on this roster, but someone is going to step up. And meanwhile, not the same track record with the linebackers, which for me is a more cause of concern. 
Yeah, the the thing too is we're not even talking about Ed Hendricks, who may end up being the best in terms of skill and when what they produce over a career amongst all these guys. He is a guy who also Eric Dungey brought up, and the fact that he's even mentioning a freshman's name kind of says that he's going to be given some type of opportunity to produce in his first year at SU. And I think that if you give Ed Hendricks some opportunity, he's going to go out and show some brilliance out there on the field. A big guy out of D.C., he's got the size, he's got the strength, and he's got the speed. So with all that in mind, I just think that if you give Ed Hendricks the opportunity, and again, it's going to be tough to crack this rotation because there's so many guys. But again, we see a lot of four receiver sets for Syracuse. There's going to be opportunity, and if he can kind of show it at times, especially in some of the early season games, then he's going to be given even more opportunities to succeed once you get to ACC play. And again, you can't predict injuries either. Jamal Custis has an injury history, so who knows how this whole thing is going to unfold. But I think that really speaks to this whole team. One of my other main takeaways, now that we've answered those five burning questions, is the depth on this team. I feel like there's, there is depth at positions where there hasn't been in the past, and it all starts at quarterback. If Eric Dungy somehow goes down again, you feel good about Tommy DeVito. At least I do, and, and we haven't seen him play, so there's not much basis, but all the hype of him coming in and, and what we've heard about him in practice and the little we've seen of him in the spring game, he's someone to be excited about. So you don't feel like in the years past where if Dungy goes down, there is going to be serious problems with the offense. So I think that right there gets you more than four wins. That that's what, that at least gets you five and in the neighborhood of six wins if you have a capable backup for Dungy if he does get injured again. Yeah, absolutely. And there seems to be a lot of optimism around this team. Again, even in the the breakout sessions and and even in the big room itself it seemed like more people were kind of cued in on Syracuse football and a lot of it had to do with the Clemson upset that seemed to be a hot topic amongst a lot of the national reporters and even a lot of Clemson reporters it seemed like wanted to talk about it with some of these Syracuse players and is that something they build off of and something they still talk about and they were pretty transparent yes we still talk about that that's one of the biggest wins in program history how could you not talk about something like that but just getting yourself back into the national spotlight, that I think is huge for Syracuse. Make yourself relevant. Make yourself transparent to some of these incoming recruits. Because I've asked Eric Dungy and Chris Slayton about it. What what would you tell the recruits about coming to Syracuse? Because let's be honest, at some point Syracuse is going to need to start hauling in some of these four-star guys, five-star guys, if they really want to develop as a program and perennially be a top 25 team. And they just said, if you don't want to play in this offense, then you're crazy. And again, that's not a ringing endorsement really for anyone that wants to be a defensive player for Syracuse, but even Chris Slayton seemed to be jacked up about the offense. And I think that kind of says something and what Coach Babers brings to the table and how he tries to motivate these guys. And that's a tough task to get those four and five stars. Really, consistent three stars is tough. If you look at the recruits in the ACC, a lot of people think that Syracuse is the only team that's not consistently getting the four-star. Well, that's not true. When you look at the top recruits in the ACC year after year, the four- and five-star guys, it's Clemson, it's Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, sprinkle in an occasional UNC, maybe a Duke, you know, maybe a Pittsburgh, but even they're not really getting those guys, and that's what makes this league so tough is right now you've got four top dogs and then a bunch of teams behind them trying to stay out of the cellar. So it's going to be tough. Syracuse has to produce consistently because, let's face it, there are teams like Pittsburgh who are coming off you know, five wins last year, but back-to-back eight-win seasons with Narduzzi before that. There's teams like Boston College who people are really high on with A.J. Dillon and, and all those guys and Steve Adazio. And there is a lot of competition around Syracuse in the ACC, so they need to figure out how they can propel themselves above those teams, and the only way to do that is win. All right, let's quickly go through the rest of the Atlantic, how we think this Atlantic division is going to shake out. Let's just go through our predictions of how the the whole thing is going to finish. I think we're pretty consensus at the top. Clemson is going to be the leader in the clubhouse from this division, no question. 
yeah, that team is too deep. They've got too many quarterbacks, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. Every position is stacked. So they are number one. And, and for me, I don't know if I've said this to you before, they're actually my national title favorite. Yeah, that, I mean, that would not surprise me either. And, again, Clemson is one of those teams who – their second strings would probably finish maybe third or fourth in this division. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how crazy talented. And, and Might finish first it, or it, second. I mean, it <laughs> speaks to what, what Dabo Sweeney has really built there. Let, let's uh, go through some of the other ones now. In second place, I think it's Florida State. I think you're in agreement too. Yeah, Florida State for me is that team with Willie Taggart. I got the sense when he was up there and his players, Cam Akers, they were up there, and uh, defensive end Brian Burns, they were excited. And it felt like this is a guy that really resonates with the players as that lethal simplicity phrase coined, which is confusing if you really think about it, but that's a team to me that... Now, there is concern on the defensive side, but I think they have so much talent on the roster. It's not like Taggart is starting from scratch. Don't think there'll be much of a... Uh, rebuild season for them uh, oh wait real quick i want to flash back to clemson real quick cleveland farrell up there for funniest guy in the acc <laughs> he is a character he, he, he's a defensive <laughs> player on that side and i just thought like he was just cracking jokes the entire time and just also he was on his phone pretty much the entire time too i don't know if you saw this when so basically when other players go up to to speak or, or the coach goes up to speak there's two little side like director's chairs that the other guys sit in and wait, and he's just like on his phone, like taking pictures of him and Dabo, and taking pictures of him and Mitch Hyatt. I just thought that was hilarious. And then when he finally gets up there, he was just a ball of energy. Well, think about that. When he's sitting in that chair and Hyatt's up there talking about practicing against the guys like Shaq Lawson, who have come through, and then transforms into guys like Cleveland Farrell, he has his his fingers in his ears because he's blocking out that noise and they asked him about it and he said yeah our line is getting so much hype deservably so in my mind but they are blocking that out and just trying to be the best team i mean it's really incredible Dabo sweeney has done such a good job and it's apparent everywhere anyways so clemson florida state both of ours won two i think next is where we get a little bit of disagreement i have boston college and i think you're going other where yeah, I've got NC State. I mean, I think Ryan Finley is the best quarterback in the ACC right now. You know, I'd like to have Eric Dungy up in that conversation, but for me, hasn't been healthy enough. And Finley's shown us durability. He's shown us the ability to lead a team to win a lot of games, not just finish close. So for me, Ryan Finley, best quarterback. And then they lose some pieces on defense, but I think they've got somewhat capable backups, and then their receivers are really good. So, so this could be a dangerous NC State team yet again. For me, I, I like Boston College. Again, the obvious reason why is A.J. Dillon. I think he's only going to build off of a, a great freshman year, one of the best freshman backs in the country. And, I mean, we always talk about Cam Akers in the ACC. Well, A.J. Dillon was even better than Cam Akers, it felt like. And there really was only one other freshman back in the entire country that came, or he was actually better than A.J. Dillon, and that's Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. But if it weren't for Taylor... A.J. Dillon, I think, would have gotten a lot more hype, maybe even a little Heisman buzz as well, for as well as he played at the end. And I think he could maybe work his way in that conversation. I think he could be the player of the year in the ACC. And he is about to explode even more this season. I think he's going to – again, he didn't get all the snaps in the early going. There was kind of a timeshare in the backfield. And now Dillon is sort of emerging as that piece – the defense is where things might get a little dicey. You'll lose Harold Landry, and you also lose Paul Pascaloni, who is the defensive coordinator who took the job now at with the Detroit Lions. So that's where things might fall back a little bit, but you still have plenty of other talented players. You bring back Zach Allen. John Lamott is a guy who it seems like everyone's really high on out in Chestnut Hill. If you've got th those two core pieces, not to mention Lucas Dennis, an NFL-caliber safety that's going to be a talented team, and they bring back a lot of important pieces. And I have gone through this entire thing without mentioning Anthony Brown, who was having a great season before he went down with a knee injury last year. No, that team is good. I mean, for me, they're my number four. I'm assuming, are we just going to swap that? You're going to have State as a yep. four, or you mm -hmm. got somebody else? I have State. Okay, and, and that makes sense. I mean, I think that is the clear top four, right? If there's seven teams, that's the clear top four. And now here's where we get into the shaky part. Where does Syracuse fall within Wake Forest, Louisville, 
and themselves. For me, I'm going to have Syracuse sixth in the ACC Atlantic. I think they finish ahead of Louisville. It's actually funny. Bobby Petrino says he expects the offense to be better this season. A year That's after Lamar Jackson goes, and someone on Twitter was like, "I think it's uh, comedy time here at the ACC media kickoff." But so for me, I like Wake Forest, I like Syracuse, then I like Louisville. Do you agree? I uh, actually I don't agree. I like Syracuse to finish fifth. They're going to tie with Wake Forest, but Syracuse wins the head-to-head. I think the Syracuse team is is just better than Wake Forest coming into this year given the experience, especially at the quarterback position. So, again, Wake Forest is one of those teams you really don't know. Kendall Hinton was suspended last year. And I think that just kind of shows a little bit about your quarterback's character and and what he brings as a leader. Give me Eric Dungy, who hasn't had any off-the-field issues, whose only problem is going to be his own health. And yes, that's a huge question mark, but again, I'd rather bank on that than something that's controllable off the field. If Eric Dungy is still playing on November 3rd, that's a great sign. I mean, that's going to be a tough game for Syracuse. But here's the thing that I think sort of sides with what you're saying. Remember, Syracuse beat Wake Forest down there a couple of seasons ago. Last season, had a lead on Wake Forest, and then just somebody... Well, actually, I I believe they lost that game two seasons ago. Oh, they did. It was the swamp game. Yeah, it was in the middle of the hurricane. Okay. But the thing about these two Syracuse games against Wake Forest is... You felt each time that Syracuse was the better team and just didn't win the game. and Right, that was can, sort of the buzz around that. Which... If you can finally win that game and pull away in the waning stages, I just think this is the year Syracuse kind of breaks through. Even though it's on the right. road, I think Syracuse Close isn't good talent. enough. And right. that's what we've been preached over the past day with Dino Babers. Close is not good enough. So now, can they win these games? Because... When you look at the schedule, if, if we want to run through it really quick, you know, you start off Western Michigan-Wagner, two games you should win. Florida State, you know, probably not. Connecticut, you should win that game. Clemson, I don't think so. But now we get in the neighborhood of close games. Pittsburgh, North Carolina, NC State, that's going to be a tough game. Wake Forest, Louisville. So those four games right there are all games in the middle of your schedule which you think are pretty close. Okay, and guess what? You've got three of them, rather two of them at home, and then you've got NC State in between there at home as well. So that's the make or break part of the schedule when you're facing those teams that are projected to finish right around you because then you got to finish with Notre Dame and Boston College, two teams that will probably be rolling at that point and be pretty tough games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that back stretch is going to be tough. Those final five or so games. You go NC State, then on the road to Wake Forest, then you play Louisville at home. That Louisville at home is almost feels like a must-win. Then you play Notre Dame at a neutral site, and then you have Boston College. Yeah, it's it's not tough to look at that schedule and find six wins. What it is tough to do is look at that schedule and all the close games and think that Syracuse is going to be able to win most of them because in the past they haven't. So that's what I'm a bit concerned of. If you get three wins to start the season, then I think you can find three more and, and maybe possibly four. But it's tough to sit here and say because if we're using just last season and the year before that, Syracuse hasn't won the close games. But like we've also been saying, this is a better football team in a lot of ways. Yeah, and Dino Babers has said it. This is the most talent he's had on a roster. So. I think closing it out, we just flip-flop our Wake Forest and Syracuse spots, and then last in the division is a consensus Louisville. Could be wrong about that one. I'm scared about it. You know, I'm scared to put any team last. I I wanted, not wanted, but I thought I was going to have to put Syracuse last just based off everything I had seen. And, And they could still be last at six wins, but that Louisville team has potential just, you know, how good is Juwan Pass? Can he get it out to Jalen Smith and Des Fitzpatrick on the outside? That, to me, is the question mark for them. All right, any last thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I'm excited. I mean, of course, keep it here, orangefizz.net, all that, Twitter and everything. I know both of us are excited, Tyler. We're going to hit this hard coming up on a month before the season starts in Kalamazoo. So there's going to be plenty of coverage to come, and, and I'm excited to cover this football team because – this is a legitimate team now that should make a bowl game, and this is the year we really should start to see 
what Syracuse can do. And I'm excited to see Eric Dungy because I know that I'm critical of him a lot because he doesn't finish the season. But if he can somehow find a way to be durable and finish the season, this could be really, really fun. And nobody's going to project it. But this is a team, if everything's clicking, that could win some games. I'm not going to throw any numbers out there, but it could do better than 6-6 six and six in my mind. It would take a lot, but there's talent on this roster. If certain things go the right way, this could be the year that, that Central New York has been waiting for, for for so long. I mean, the thing for me is if Eric Dungy plays the entire season, this is a team that, with their bowl game, can win eight games. And I, I, think I don't that's think that's too far-fetched. And the reason that people aren't going to predict that is because we haven't really seen Dungy play a full season. So if that changes, I think the win total could go up. But for right now, I think we both agree the clear objective here is to spread some victories out in the second half of the season and also make a bowl game. The thing for me is week three, I think, is going to kind of set the tone for the season. You play Florida State at home, prime time. You can't be a joke in that game. Yeah, you cannot fall flat. You, you're you in your home stadium. It's going to be rocking. That's the game that you need to come out and play your best football. And if you can do that, you're going to really set the tone for the rest of the season because you could be looking at 3-0 and heading into UConn, which seems like 4-0. That one would be huge. I mean, I, we could go through this whole schedule, and I know we will later in a different Fizz Radio or FizzCast episode, so be on the lookout for that as we get closer to the season. But... That's just what I want to see is, and we saw it last year, really. Syracuse was never a joke in any games. No, they were close in every game. Yeah, any big game. That was kind of the thing, except for you fell apart a little bit at the end against Boston College. But Syracuse really, before the Wake Forest game, in the Wake Forest game, you had a double-digit lead at halftime. Before that game, Syracuse had never lost a game by double digits. Against the marquee opponents, too. They came out and they were there. Miami. Yeah, and then you beat Clemson. And those are road games. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, even at Florida State, a Cole Murphy field goal away from possibly going to overtime. So, mm-hmm. that's something to look out for. And so, I don't think it's that unrealistic to say that that will be the case again this year. Why wouldn't it be when you've only gotten better? So, let's see what happens. But a lot of fun with you down here this week, and uh, we'll be uh, continuing on this football beat for hopefully a long time to come and maybe even into the new year. Yep, Charlotte's been great. It's been treating both of us well. A great time at ACC Media Kickoff. I'm headed up to Brooklyn tomorrow to go see Bayheim's Army play, so that'll be fun. Expect some more content from us from Brooklyn, LIU Brooklyn, for the Bayheim's Army in the first round and, and hopefully a second round matchup as well. So that's to come Should this be. weekend out of Brooklyn, so look ahead to that and catch us on orangefizz.net as well as on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Orange Fizz, you'll get all the latest and greatest content from us. From there, for Jonathan Hoppy, I'm Tyler Rocky. Thanks so much for listening. You know where to find us. 